0: How many of you know that we've been engaged in a sermon series most of last year? We started it a year ago, January 2022, uh, When Kingdoms Collide, and we have been studying through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and uh, we took a break for Advent, and I took a break last week to preach on another theme that God laid on my heart, but... um, but basically, we've been journeying through this book of Mark. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking and praying about this over my break in Michigan and thinking, oh, is it time to just do something else? Is it, no, we're kind of right in the middle of Mark. We need to continue this. And it's all the Word of God. And the, the world's always in a hurry to move on and into the next best thing. But I just want to, I want for us as a congregation to just kind of marinate. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> Anybody hungry? <laughs> you hungry now? But just marinate in this, this book. Because there's so many good things here, and so we're just going to pick it apart and uh, just take our time with it. And so we get to continue that series today. The first seven chapters in the book of Mark largely deal with Jesus, what we call his public ministry. Jesus is out and, you know, he shows up on scene almost like a spiritual Rambo. Some of you are old enough to remember Rambo. And, uh, you know, he just, he's blowing away the, uh, the forces of evil, he, he's casting out demons, he's healing diseases, he's, he's, he's turning, you know, feeding 5,000, I mean, he's just doing these incredible things, all of these miracles that Jesus is, is doing, and, uh, but then there's kind of a turn or a pivot point. He's got a lot of followers now, he's, he's got a crowd, people are paying attention, they notice Jesus. But in Mark chapter 8, what we've studied uh, uh, last fall, um, we find a kind of a turning point. And uh, Jesus now is starting to lay down and assert the challenge of discipleship. He's got a lot of people following him. And then he begins you know, to say things like, if, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. It's almost as if Jesus is intentionally starting to thin the crowd, that he's saying, now who's really with me and who's not? And it's my prayer that we at Grace Church are really with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That we are really with him because um, we, we, we loved all the public miracles and all the spectacular, wow, this is fabulous. You know, we, we flock to that kind of stuff as a culture. But Jesus is saying, no, there's more to following me than just these wonderful miracles. It requires sacrifice and suffering too. And so, um, uh, before Advent, we looked at a story of Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John go up to this mountain with Jesus. And, and Jesus is illuminated. I mean, he's like shining bright white. I mean, it's so, it's like, give me my sunglasses. This is incredible. What's going on? God's spirit, God's glory is, is upon Jesus. Is as if Jesus is saying, he's the one. This is the Messiah. This is, this is the man that you've been waiting for, that all of you Jews throughout history have been waiting for the Messiah. This is him. Jesus, God is giving Jesus his, his affirmation. And the Holy Spirit is speaking, and, and God the Father is there. It's just amazing. And then they come down from the mountain. And if you remember, the rest of the disciples, there's kind of a commotion there, right? And, um, and what's going on? And so Jesus and the rest of those disciples that were up on the mountain, they now join the, the rest of the gang, and, oh, what's going on here? and Well, there's, there's a boy that is demon-possessed. He has a deaf and dumb spirit. He couldn't speak. He couldn't hear. And uh, the disciples were trying to cast it out, and they couldn't get it. You know, Peter's over there, or uh, not Peter, but, you know, maybe uh, one of the other disciples is, well, put your hands this way, you know, pray. You know, pray, you know. They, they couldn't get it out. They couldn't get the demon out. And uh, so there's a commotion. Meanwhile, the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, oh, you disciples of Jesus, this Jesus is a hoax, told you, you know, this is going nowhere, right? So, um, and then uh, Jesus comes down there and, uh, you know, the, the, the father of the boy says, Jesus, if you can, you know, would you, would you save him and heal him? And Jesus says, if I can, it's like Jesus, don't you believe that I am the son of God? I can do all things. And the man's like, I believe Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. Anybody here ever find yourself lacking in belief? It's like, I don't know that I really believe this. Can I really do this? Or will Jesus really God deliver for me? Sometimes we wonder. And uh, so, but, so Jesus casts the demon out. And then he has a private conversation with his disciples. And they're like, Jesus, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus says, because this kind will only come out with much prayer, with prayer with prayer. Uh, the footnote in some of the Bibles has prayer and fasting, but the earliest, most reliable manuscripts don't have that. It was probably added later by a scribe. Um, the, the, the original text is this kind of only comes out through prayer. And uh, a call to prayer, a challenge to prayer. So, and this is where we left off. Uh, you all remember this, right? Yeah, this is exactly where we left off before we started our Advent series, Our Living Hope, which was a great series, and, uh, and then we got together last week. So today we get to resume this series. We're picking it up the story up now in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Hear the word of God. They left that place, Jesus and his disciples, and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not, did not want anyone to know where they were. Because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And then in my Bible, there's a section, the next one, Who is the Greatest? They came to Capernaum where he was in the house, and he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. He said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, come, help us to understand this passage. Lord, bring us your insight, your revelation. Lord, show us and share with us what it is that you want to say to us and how we may find good news today through the Gospel of Mark as we resume our series. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Since the beginning of time and down throughout history, the kingdoms of this world have always been in clash, in in war, and in conflict, it seems, with each other. We find it even way back in the Old Testament, in the earliest stories of the Old Testament, the the Israelites held captive to the Egyptians and that struggle, and, and then how God delivered them, brought them out the exodus. And and brought them into the promised land. But when they were entering the promised land, they still had to clear out their enemies. They fought against all of those other, those other peoples, the, the Canaanites and the, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the termites. Okay, maybe not the termites. And then there was Judah and the Babylonians and the conflict there. And, and then there was the Romans who clashed in the New Testament with the, with the Jewish people, but the Christians especially and and then on to the crusades of the 11th century and through history, the French Revolution and the Mexican-American War and the World War I and World War II and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict goes on yet today and there was a Cold War and the Korean conflict and Vietnam and Uganda and Iran and Iraq and the list goes on and on. And since the beginning of time, kingdoms and governments on this earth have always clashed. But perhaps there is no greater clash than that of the kingdom of God over all of the kingdoms of this world. Kingdoms are colliding. God's way and the ways of this world are not the same. Have you noticed? So far from our study in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen Jesus cast out demons, heal diseases, and defy the laws of physics. We've seen Jesus raise the dead, raise a paralytic, and raise the blood pressure of the established religious leaders. He is in conflict with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and legal experts and religious rule keepers and pork producers and local townspeople. And yet, through it all, persons have received healing, forgiveness, forgiveness cleansing and new life in jesus christ the kingdom of god is breaking into the kingdom of this world hallelujah kingdoms are colliding the kingdom of god is upsetting our spiritual apple cart and status quo spirituality And we, like those early disciples, we can barely understand all of the ramifications and implications of this new kingdom. This kingdom that is coming and is here now today through Jesus, but is also still coming in all of its fullness and glory when Jesus returns again. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Jesus. And the government rests on his shoulders. He rules. He reigns over all. And today's passage is just one more illustration of the conflict of the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of this world and our values and norms. What is Jesus up to? Where is God in all of this? Where is the good news? Let me break it down for you. Three components to Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Grab your outline, fill it in as we go. Number one, the first component is that there is a personal and private time with jesus say it with me a personal and private time with jesus verse 30 and 31 they had left that place and passed through galilee jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples you ever try to break away for some r&r a little vacation time the phone keeps ringing somebody keeps texting you whatever it may be you're always being disturbed Maybe you try to focus on a project and you can't seem to get it done. Too many interruptions, too many distractions. Maybe it's at work or at home. Well, Jesus knew that there were too many distractions for his disciples to focus. So he pulled them away. He said, okay, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, uh, turn off your cell phone. And I want to focus with you. He leaves the region of Caesarea Philippi, where he had just cast out this demon from this boy, and now he begins his final tour of the region of Galilee. Now, it may seem incidental or too obvious to state, but it's too important not to. Jesus and his disciples took some time alone, away from the crowds, away from the busyness of life's demands. They had their very own men's retreat right there, the first one maybe in the Bible. Time out? When was the last time you took time just to be with Jesus? Oh, it's good to worship Him? That's great. Glad you're here. It's good to be a part of a Bible study or a small group? That's wonderful. It's good to have some devotional time, maybe in the morning or noon or in the evening, whatever it is for you. That's great. But, but how about some, some special time, a little expanded time with Jesus? Maybe just to sit, to be still and know that He is God. To listen to His Spirit speak. what it, God, what are you saying to me? What's going on? My heart is often so busy, stirring with lots of feelings and emotions. Lord, what are you saying to me right now in my life? Are there changes that need to be made? I want to challenge you and encourage you to do what the disciples and Jesus did. Maybe to have your own retreat with Jesus. Men, join the men's retreat. Women, there'll be things coming for you too. It's great. Be a part of worship, a Bible study. Small groups will be starting again in February. But take some personal time, maybe just you and Jesus, to hang out with your Lord and listen and let Him teach you. Again, it almost seems incidental, but it's too important not to mention. What would it take for you to carve out a little space? Maybe you've got to schedule it in, maybe this week, maybe today. You can take a little time for Jesus. There's personal and private time for Jesus in this passage. Number two, there is a puzzling prophecy from Jesus. Say it with me. A puzzling prophecy from Jesus. He said to them, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself now, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. This is the second time Jesus predicts his death. The first time in Mark 8, verse 31. The disciples probably thought, Jesus, why are you so obsessed with death? Why are you so obsessed with this? This, What are you talking about, Jesus? You're our king. You're our leader. You're you're not going to die. They just avoided the issue. But it turns out that the disciples were the ones who were obsessed. They were obsessed with this coming kingdom and their positions of power within it. You can almost hear them arguing with each other about who's going to be second in command next to Jesus. You know, maybe Peter was saying, well, I should be second in command. And maybe there's Matthew saying, no, I should be. And maybe James and John. I love that picture. That's not the picture I was thinking of. But anyway, it's up later. But there's all this kind of finger pointing. There's like who's going to be second in command. And they just kind of avoided this issue. The thought of Jesus dying fit nowhere into their theology. Jesus, you're our leader. You can't die. I mean, we're just getting started here. Even more puzzling were his words about rising again, and the disciples just couldn't fathom this. And I wonder how many sayings of Jesus do we kind of ignore Here in America, we love the positive version of Christianity. We love to celebrate the the fun and the blessings and the benefits of belonging to Jesus and His church, and there are many. Don't get me wrong. Jesus has come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. But how many of you know that, as Paul Harvey would say, there's also the rest of the story? That there is suffering and sacrifice there's putting yourself last, that there is also surrender and hard times and maybe even persecution that comes with following Jesus. If you want to be my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, said Jesus. Die to self. And these are hard words to hear in a culture that is all about pampering self and personal pleasure and comforts and conveniences and looking out for number one. But like those early disciples, the hard sayings of Jesus tend to fall on deaf ears, even maybe today. Die? Sacrifice? No, Jesus. No, no, no. We'll gloss over that part. In this passage, there is personal, private time with Jesus. There is a puzzling prophecy, a hard saying that we need to hear. And thirdly, thirdly, there is a prevailing problem among Jesus' followers. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, probably the house of Andrew and Peter here, he said, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, Jesus knew perfectly well what they were arguing about, which is why he asked the question, to try to draw them out, to help them to see kind of their silliness. Well, they didn't, they didn't answer. They were too embarrassed to answer. Well, we're kind of arguing about who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom, Jesus. And No, they didn't even say that. And Jesus calls the 12 and he says, look, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the last and the servant of all. And he takes a little child, and he has him stand among them, and he takes him into his arms, and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. You can almost hear the disciples arguing. This is the picture. They're pointing fingers. I'm going to be second in command. No, I'm going to be. you. Who are you to think you, you know? Here Jesus is talking about his own pending death. Sacrifice. And what do the disciples, what, what do we do? We talk about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the most powerful by the world's standards. We miss the point. It's a prevailing problem, even today. We want all to be great by the world's standards, but Jesus teaches, no, my kingdom is different than the world. What God values, God's standards are different than, than what you may think, and you may need to change your value system to switch the price tags on what's really valuable. Don't get sucked into the world's ideals of greatness. God is calling you to be and to do something different. So this morning, in the balance of this time, I want to get crystal clear on the kingdom of God with you. Three things. Jesus' kingdom. Number one. Number one rubs against culture say it with me it rubs against culture remember going to the eye doctor and being sat down and having to look through that little scope and the doctor says tell me when there are two dots you're seeing one okay you're like uh, uh, all right all right tell me when there's two uh now you know okay? Uh now, okay uh now okay uh now all right i'm trying so hard to get it right you know i want to get it right I is where my perfectionism comes out in the eye doctor office he says, you know, Dave, you're a very particular person. That's an understatement. <laughs> yes, you've noticed. How did you know? Yeah, so like, uh, one or two, uh, two or three. Uh, let me see two again. You know, it's like, I don't know. Okay, trying to get that just right. Friends, the kingdom of God and the cultures of this world are really two different things. They may have looked as one for a long time, but they are not. The kingdom of God is not the same as the nation of Israel. The kingdom of God is not the same as the United States of America or any other nation on earth. The kingdom of God is not the same as democracy or the views of any one particular political party. The kingdom of God is not beholden to one president or prime minister on earth. No, the kingdom of God stands above culture. It rubs against culture. It judges culture and will always prevail. James said, you adulterous people, don't you know that, a relation, that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's a hard saying. Because I, I love this world. I love a lot of things about it. And of course, God gives us things to enjoy. Don't get me wrong. But it's when our values become that of the world's that we better be careful. We may have missed the point of belonging to Jesus. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. I love that word pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Friends, would you shine? Do you shine for Jesus? Would the people that you work with, the people that you share maybe a home with, would friends, even your fellow church members, would they see that there's something different about you? Would they say, oh yeah, yeah, There's something different about Chuck. There's something different about Cheryl. There's something different about Josh. They stand out. There's something different about you people who believe in Jesus because you love differently, you lead differently, you you love purely and truly. It's my prayer that Grace Church would stand out and shine like, like stars in the universe. That each one of you, you're a star. You're a star. When I was in high school, my, my buddy, my neighbor, the best friend I ever got together with him this past uh, uh, Christmas in Michigan, Cal Boovey, grew up to him. knew him. I said, Cal, you're the oldest standing friend that I have in my life because we knew each other when we were two or three years old. We'd play together, you know. I mean, he fell off the bag swing at our farm and broke his ankle, and it was, I mean, we had lots of great memories, you know. And uh, Cal and I decided we were going to be cool. We were we were high school kids. We were going to go down to the Ottawa State Park, the beach in Michigan, and in Holland. Beautiful beach, beautiful waters on a hot, sunny summer afternoon. It's what everybody did, you know. And kind of the youth culture, especially, gravitated toward the beach. And Cal and I, you know, we're kind of out in the country. I'm a farm boy, and you know, and and. Uh, Cal was a little overweight, and we kind of, you know, we go out there, we go, we take our blind, you know, our towels out, and we're like, like looking around, it's like, wow, these people, they, they're really into this. You know, there's all these beach bodies, you know? People are tan, they're, they're healthy, they're, you know, we're like two marshmallows out there, you know, just a couple of white, you know, plump kind of kids, and it's like, oh my goodness, did we ever stand out? I'll never forget it. It was so funny, almost embarrassing to take our shirt off, well, friends, God is calling you to, to stand out in a good way, to be pure and white and holy before Him. The kingdom of God rubs against culture. We need to know that again today. Number two, the kingdom of God redefines clout. Say it with me. It redefines clout. Bear with me. I needed a C word to complete the alliteration, okay? So clout, I mean greatness. Greatness here, okay? You know how I preach. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Greatness, you see, in the kingdom of God is not determined by how many armies you command, what your gross national product is, how much money you may have, how big or new your house is, how nice your car is, how loud or bombastic you may be, or what position you hold in the company or community, how much clout you have by the world standards. No. Greatness, clout in the kingdom of God is defined differently. By servanthood, humility, becoming like a child, gentleness. Welcoming Jesus and others with a tender, open heart, laying your life down, putting yourself last. These are hard sayings. This is what Jesus is teaching. Jesus and his kingdom redefine greatness. Now, I don't have anything against megachurches. If God blesses you, a church with that kind of growth, that's great. Praise God, you're bringing in more people, it'd be great. Maybe God will make us a megachurch someday, Who knows? You know, that, that's great. I, what I have a problem with is trying to grow simply for growth's sake. Trying to become big and powerful like by the world's standards. It's a very tricky thing and it's a fine line. We have to always kind of watch our motives in this. Is it not possible to have large growing churches that are successful in the world's eyes but who are failing miserably in God's eyes? And conversely, is it not possible to have small churches who might even be in decline sometimes, but who remain faithful to God and His Word and who are a huge success in God's eyes? Just something to think about. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small and it grows even at its own pace almost imperceptibly. Until it becomes so large, it becomes a a haven, a rest for even the birds of the air. I've said it before, I like to think of Grace Church as a kind of mustard seed church. Much of our ministry is behind the scenes. It's seemingly small by the world's standards. Little by little. And yet, by being faithful over time, We are making a difference for the kingdom of God. We, no less than any big church, are having kingdom impact. And sometimes I think maybe we do it better. You see, Jesus and his kingdom not only rub against culture, but they redefine clout, greatness. Thirdly, Jesus' kingdom renews common folk. Say it with me. Renews common folk. Because the kingdom of God rubs against culture and redefines clout, common folk like us, we have hope. We are renewed in the good news of God's kingdom here and now, even today. And its eventual coming in all of its fullness at the end of time. There's hope for the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, the immigrant, the refugee, the little, the child, the servant, the ones who are down and out, the ones who are last, the poor in spirit, the grieving, the lonely, the persecuted, the infirm, the mustard seeds of this world. Jesus sees you and he values you and he loves you. You, you you little one, you have a place of prestige and power in God's kingdom. The pyramid of power is reversed like we shared in those opening words of our call to worship from the Beatitudes. The playing field is leveled and there is hope and renewal for ordinary people. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 146 who professes, God upholds the cause of the oppressed and He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but He frustrates the ways of the wicked. Our God is an underdog God. Hey, we have a dog here this morning. We have a service dog. This church is going to the dogs, I tell you what. Welcome, Harley. The kingdom of God is a little bit for misfits, remember Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, the Island of Misfit Toys, or I don't remember Santa or whatever. I don't know what show it was, but in first stop, the Island of Misfit Toys, the Jack in the Box. Oh, everybody forgot us again. Yes. That's pretty good, isn't it? it? Just came to me. Yeah, it just came to me. I don't know what, I've got a strange mind, but I remember the weirdest things. Things I should remember, I don't. The things that I, you know, I, and then I do, but. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? We're all misfits. We're all misfits by the world's standards. Every one of us. Me too, the biggest one here. Uh, you know, we don't really fit in. But there's a kingdom for us. There's a kingdom for us. It's the kingdom of God. And you're like, okay, pastor, the title of this message was Where Jesus is Found. Where, we haven't even talked about that. What, what are we talking about here? Where is, so, yeah, okay, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Now, we typically look for Jesus in religious people, in religious places, right? We, we think we're going to find Jesus maybe at church on a Sunday morning. Hopefully, Jesus is right here. We know He's with us. We're two or more gathered in His name. He's, he's present, right? Jesus is here. He's in church. We look for Jesus in His Word, it, the Word of God. It speaks. Jesus is there. The, we look for Jesus in the sacraments, the sacraments of baptism and, and holy communion. We, Jesus comes to us through these sacraments, does He not? And we share in His Spirit. We can find Jesus in creation. He, by Him all things were created. He holds everything together and you can walk through nature and just look at the sky at night. Anybody see the red sky this morning? I don't know if the sailors took warning or not, but there was a red sky. Beautiful, beautiful morning. We can find Jesus in people, godly people, maybe priests and pastors and elders and deacons and leaders in His church, but in ordinary people like all of us, in whom his spirit lives, we find Jesus there. But I want to suggest to you that there's another place where Jesus can be found. Other people that you might not even expect to find him or even think to look. Whoever welcomes a little child welcomes me, said Jesus. And so there he is. The kingdom of God is not often found in the big, the powerful, the mighty, the boisterous, the loud and forceful. Jesus is not often found in high places and famous people. No, there he is. He's in, oh, he's in the womb of a teenage girl a virgin. There's Jesus. Oh, he's in a manger, in a smelly, stinky stable with barn animals. He's in Bethlehem, this Timbuktu of a town, this remote town that hardly anybody really knew much about. There's Jesus. He's in a baby. A baby. There's Jesus. He's in a simple man from Galilee, walking around as kind of a nomad with no home and traveling with this weird motley crew of disciples, this band of brothers. There's Jesus. There's Jesus. He's hanging on a cross now. There's Jesus. He's in a tomb. He died for you and me. There's Jesus. Jesus comes to us in very unsuspecting people and in ways that you may never have imagined. He's found in the ordinary, the weak, the small, the poor, the unpopular, the unnoticed, and often the forgotten. Pastor and sociologist Tony Campolo, who was a sociologist professor at Eastern University in Philadelphia, related a story about how one day as he was walking through the big city of Philly, he encountered a, a homeless man, and there were many of them in this area. And quite frankly, Tony admitted that he, he would often kind of pass them by or take another way. But this day, he walked right by one of them, and to his surprise, a, a poor homeless man yelled out, hey, You! And Tony stopped, and he turned around, and he looked at the man, he, me? Yes. He said, do you want a cup of coffee? And he had, a, he had a cup of coffee unopened in a cup that he had somehow gotten, or maybe somebody gave it to him, and I don't know. But anyway, he, he said to Tony, would you like a cup of coffee? And Tony said, well, yeah, okay. I'll have a cup of coffee. So he gave him his, his cup of coffee, and Tony said to the man, he said, well, what's gotten into you today? He says, you're You must be feeling awful good that you're giving away your coffee. And the man responded to Tony. He said, well, I just think that when God gives you something good, you ought to share it. Tony thought, oh boy, he's got me now. All right, his heart started to melt. He said, well, that's very kind of you. Is Is there something I can do for you? He was sure he was going to hit him up for five bucks or 10 bucks or 20, you know what? The man said, "Yes, there is." Tony thought, "Oh, here it comes. <laughs> Get my wallet out. I want a hug." Tony was thinking, "I wish he'd asked for the five bucks." The man was unkempt and kind of dirty and maybe a little smelly and Tony okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you a hug. And he embraced this homeless, kind of dirty man. And he wouldn't let go. The man wouldn't let go of Tony. He kept, he kept hugging him, and he, he hugged him tight. And Tony realized in that moment that this man probably hadn't had a hug in, in weeks or months or maybe even years. He was shunned, and Nobody probably even wanted to touch him. And Tony's heart melted and he kind of realized in that moment that, that somehow in some kind of weird way Jesus was coming to him through this, this homeless man. We often think Jesus is coming through the sacraments and there's all these ways that Jesus appears and he comes to us in our lives and and surely he's present there. But, But no, he was present in this homeless, this broken, this poor man who had nothing and just wanted a hug to validate his humanity. Jesus comes to us. Jesus is found there. In the poor, in the weak, in the child, in the homeless, the hungry. May we see him. May we see him. Father, we come before you today and we would just ask that you, O oh God, will be near, that you, O oh Lord, will will come. Too often, God, we we hang out with all the wrong people, all the religious people, when maybe you are calling us to reach out to the poor, the homeless, the hungry, those who need not so much a handout, but a hand up. And so, God, would you just Guide us and lead us today. We're thankful that your kingdom inverts the pyramid of power, that those who are hungry and homeless and small and weak and even children have a place of of power in your kingdom, of greatness. So help us to take time to simply be with you, personal, private time, that you could teach us as we sit at your feet, maybe today or this week. Just speak to us, Lord, and change us and help us to be the people you want us to be. Give us your eyes, Lord. Give us your heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.